joined us tonight. Those of you joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, thank you as well for being with us. I want to say this from the start. I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. And you know, sometimes we, we don't always know why God does things. You know, and, and the people that God takes out of our lives, we don't always understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. But I want you to know something. We can't worry about the people that God has removed out of our lives because he's heard conversations that we didn't. He saw things that we couldn't, and he's made moves that we wouldn't. So I'm so thankful that God does those things. You know, the Bible says his ways is higher than our ways and his thoughts than our, our thoughts, and I am so, so, so thankful for that. Again, it's good to have you all with us. If our ushers would go ahead and make their way. We'll pray and we'll give you an opportunity to give tonight. As they're coming, I'll make some announcements. For the month of February, all students will remain in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. Saturday, February the 8th, is our annual ladies' tea. If you haven't signed up for the tea but would like to come, please see Sister Sheila Landry for a ticket. And Sunday, February the 9th, that's the deadline to order the chocolate-covered strawberries. You can do that via the website or Grand Central. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via our church app or by clicking the events tab on our website. Let's pray. Father, we so love you today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've blessed us and we're able to give. And, Lord, as we give back, we ask you to take this offering and bless it and use it in Jesus' name. God bless you as you give tonight. Thank you, Brother Wheeler, and uh, good to see everybody here tonight. Thank you all for being here on Wednesday night, and uh, I love and appreciate our, our Wednesday night turnout. Thank you so very much for your faithfulness. And uh, I, I think we sent some communication today about uh, our students being in the sanctuary, and it looks like most everybody got it. Um, all the students and kids are going back to their normal Wednesday night arrangement except for kids' church. Uh, we have a huge staff shortage right now, and we can't have it. If they went up there, they'd be, um, they would outman and outnumber um, the staff. And uh, we, we might have staff that needs counseling and therapy and what have you when it's all said and done, right, Shaquana? So anyway, so... Uh, uh, we have some folks that are interested, but we have to just work some things out, and hopefully we'll be resuming kids' church on Wednesday night as soon as possible. But uh, the the students are out in the A Center, and I think Sister Sandy's class is up and running tonight as well. So uh, kids' church kids, welcome. We're glad you're in here tonight, and as soon as we can rectify the situation, we will. Um, I've come to the pulpit tonight briefly. Brother Dave will be teaching tonight, as we announced uh, last Wednesday night. But I wanted to share with you something um, that, that came to pass this Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, that uh, I, as, as a minister, as a pastor especially, I've never experienced before. The, those of you at men's prayer, our, our last men's prayer, the last Saturday of January, uh, there was about 15, 20 men there and um, 
had an incredible, incredible prayer meeting. And when it was over, uh, I very confidently spoke to them saying that I believe that God is reviving uh, our church. I believe God is reviving some families in our church and, and moving people closer and closer to him and whatnot. And I was real excited about it. And I said, as a matter of fact, I believe the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me today about developing a message. And I will try to do this this coming Sunday, uh, which would have been the following Sunday. And uh, about having to do with God working with Moses in the wilderness when he asked, when Moses said, saw the burning bush and said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. When I, it was Monday or Tuesday of the following week, um, I felt an inspiration to have Brother Jason preach the Sunday that I was going to preach that message. And I was confused because I knew what I felt at men's prayer, but I felt an inspiration to have him preach. So I went with the latter. <clears throat> and Brother Jason and I ended up having lunch last Thursday. And during the course of lunch, he said, I just want to give you a heads up. You're not going to believe this. But he said, if you'll remember the Sunday you asked me to speak and y'all were out of town, it was last November when we were gone for Thanksgiving. He said, I had planned to preach this sermon but we had a runaway service, if you will. The Spirit of the Lord moved, and there was no preaching. So I didn't get to preach it, but that feeling and inspiration has not left me. So I'm planning to preach this coming Sunday that sermon. I've never experienced this before, and you, you can say what you want. I, I don't know what to say. You, I, I don't know what to say. But it's, it's God spoke to me a thought. I shared it with the men at men's prayer but he enabled, God enabled someone else to preach it. And it's just kind of has me astounded that that's never happened before. Is it out of the realm of possibility with God? Absolutely not. And I don't know that he said anything that I would have, that I would have said or would not have said. Uh, the thought was exactly what God impressed me with. And uh, none of this was pre-planned. Uh, I think Brother Jason is an honest man. I am. And um, none of this was pre-planned. It had to be one of the most unusual events that I've ever experienced in ministry. So I want to come to the pulpit for a minute and just share that with you. I just, I think it's amazing that God can work like that. And, and now that this has happened, it can open up other possibilities in the future as well and not make me so hesitant to do what God wants me to do. So I thought that was very amazing. Thank you for Brother, Brother Jason for following the Lord Sunday morning. Amazing job, and we appreciate hearing from the Lord Sunday. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Brother Dave Bunch to the pulpit tonight. Give him some appreciation as he comes to minister tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Well, greetings, Grace Church. It's great to see everyone here tonight. I join with Pastor and Brother Wheeler in welcoming you and those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live. We are so glad that you're part of our service tonight as well. Great to see you. I concur with Pastor. It's a, it's a good looking group here tonight. So congratulate yourself on being here on a dark stormy night, as they say. Um, 
I do give honor to Pastor and Sister Murph. I love them and appreciate their leadership. And it's always an honor to come and stand in this pulpit and break the bread of life. In regards to the cotton candy, um, it sounds like there may be some cotton candy headed our way in the Sunday service. I think Pastor's announced that. What I was going to do, had he not announced that, or had not decided to do that, I was going to bring cotton candy tonight, except I was going to sell it. I figured he had, he had gotten you primed and ready to such a point that it would, it would sell and that, that you would be more than happy to, to purchase some. But he just kind of, with the giveaway, I, I, there's no market for it now. So God bless you tonight. I don't know, I don't know if this is cotton candy or, or, or what. I, I do hope that I can challenge us tonight and uh, take us a little deeper in our walk with God. Just share with you what God's been sharing with me. Many years ago, a, a London pastor got on a trolley and he bought his ticket and paid his fare. And when he got back to his seat for his trolley ride, he began to look at the change the driver had given him. And he realized that the driver had given him an exorbitant amount of change, way, way more change than what was needed. Now, this pastor perhaps, like any of us, may have, may have thought about that for a few minutes. He may have, have thought, well, hey, this is the blessing of the Lord, or, you know, hey, you know, God's really taking care of me here. But the more he thought about it, the more he, he, he sat there, he, he just didn't feel right about it. And ultimately he concluded, he said, how can, how can my gain be another man's loss? And so moved with conviction, he got up, made his way back to the front of the trolley, and he told the man, he said, I'm sorry, he said, you've given me way too much change. And the trolley driver responded and said, I know I did. He said, I was actually in your church last Sunday and I heard you preach on honesty. And I just wanted to see if you were for real. That's supposed to be a true story as I understand it. Elena asked me the other day, she said, uh, she said, Dad, what are you going to preach on or teach on Wednesday night? And my kids don't usually ask me that question. But this time, I was glad she did because they say you're not ready to teach or preach or speak unless you can distill your thoughts down to one word or one sentence. And, so it, and I was struggling a little bit with this because a lot of times when I'm studying and preparing, it's real easy to go off in a lot of different directions and you want to kind of stay true to, to what your topic is and and also she her question I mean I focused in immediately and zoned in immediately it's like okay I need to tell Elena in one word what I'm talking about Wednesday night or I'm not going to be able to talk about it and so I said well I said if I had to put it in one word I just want to talk about integrity if I had to put it in one sentence I would just say it's a challenge to align our words and our profession of faith with our actions and what we really do, an alignment between word and deed. So that's, that's what I want to talk about tonight and hopefully challenge us. You know, Paul talked about in, in 1 Corinthians, he talked about striving for the mastery. And, and I think all of us, all of us can, there's always room to get better, no matter how advanced we are in our walk with God, no matter how, how much we feel like we know about God and experience we've had in living for God, there's always room to improve, I believe. And so tonight, 
take this maybe as just striving for the mastery. Maybe there's room where we can all improve, including the guy in the pulpit tonight. I want to call your attention to a text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. And, and again, this is the Apostle Paul. I'll be quoting and using Paul a lot tonight. Um, obviously, the, the great Apostle. Read from the King James Version's first, uh, Version, 1 Timothy 4, 10 through 16. For to this end we labor and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. These things command and teach. And by the way, he's speaking, or he, rather he's writing to Timothy here. These things command and teach, he tells Timothy. And then here's our key verse. This is what he tells Timothy. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example, an example or example to them that believe in, in word and manner of life, in love and faith and purity. Until I come, give heed to reading, which... Um, I'm real thankful for this scripture because I'm a book nerd and I like to read. And so I have good Bible for all the hours that I like to spend reading. So he says, give heed to reading, to exhortation, to teaching. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Be diligent in these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy progress may be made manifest unto all. Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you'll save yourself and those that hear you. So this is a matter not only of example, it's a matter of salvation. It's a matter of being saved in the end, that we take heed and that we're conscious about these things that Paul is writing about. And so again, our key verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no man despise your youth, he tells Timothy, but be an example to them that believe and then he gives several categories in which he wants Timothy to be an example in, in, in word and manner of life and love and faith and purity. One scholar translated that verse this way. He says, do not give anyone a chance to despise you because you are young, but in your words and in your conduct and in love, loyalty, and purity. And that's the three areas we're going to talk about tonight. In love, loyalty, and purity, show yourself to be an example of what believing people should be. Show yourself to be an example of what believing people should be. So my title tonight, if my, if my word is integrity, and I've already kind of shared with you my, my thought, my title would be this, the only way to silence criticism. The only way to silence criticism. Now Paul, in this, in this reading tonight, as I've already mentioned, was writing to Timothy, who was his son in the gospel. Timothy was now a pastor of a church, um, and Paul was writing some, some thoughts to him, some ideas, some encouragement, um, some things that he felt like Timothy needed to work on. And he says, don't let anybody criticize you or despise you because of your age, because you're young. Now, we know from the context that Timothy was no kid here. He was not, he was not a child. He was not even a teenager uh, for number one, it, it, was, it had been 15 years since Paul had appointed him or chosen him to be uh, uh, Paul's helper. And then two, when you look at the Greek word here, the word translated youth could be used to describe anyone of military age up to the age of 40. 
in those days. So, so this, this was not necessarily a child or, a, or a, a young person, but he was younger than Paul, and he was certainly inexperienced in a lot of ways. And so Paul feared that he would come under scrutiny, that he would come under some criticism, that he may, he, he may not have the, the, the solid reputation that he needed to move into that church and lead like he, like he wanted to. Whatever the case was, it was certain that there would be questions about Timothy's credentials and questions about his calling. And so Paul gives him this advice that we read tonight. And it's probably the hardest advice there is to follow. It's probably the hardest thing to do, probably the hardest thing you could tell Timothy. But really, when you think about it and get right down to it, it's the only advice that he could give Timothy, and that is this, that Timothy must silence all of his critics by his conduct, by being the real deal, by being who he claimed to be, by, by aligning his words and his actions. Plato, the great philosopher, was once fa falsely accused of dishonorable conduct, and he said this, he said, well, I'm just going to have to live in such a way that all men will see that the charge is false. Conduct, behavior, is the most excellent way to silence criticism. We're, we're sometimes, especially as apostolic Christians, we're lot, uh, often, the, those that have been around for many years, we're often really good at, at, at argument-based um, confrontations. You know, we're, we, we know our Bible, we know the doctrine, we have, our, we have our explanations lined up. But I would submit to us tonight that oftentimes aligning our behavior aligning our lifestyle, aligning who we are really in terms of character, maybe it doesn't always align quite as well as our, or align quite as well with our knowledge of the Bible. So are we equally skilled then at living out our faith? I had to chuckle in, in preparation uh, for this tonight. I, I was trying to think about um, some different scenarios and different things that I had experienced by way of, of example and bringing this home. And uh, I, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and, and say I'll call Chris Watley out a little bit here. Uh, we had a neighbor, Chris Watley and I, we grew up one street uh, uh, from one another, and we had a neighbor that was, that was quite a character. This guy uh, went to high school with him. He was in the neighborhood, and uh, Chris and Steve and I used to give him a pretty hard time so that's all I'll say about Chris. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but um, got to give a shout out to the media team every now and then. But this guy, Chris will remember him, uh, he was what we called back then goth or gothic, right? They, he dressed in black. He had a black trench coat, slicked his hair back, probably wore mascara or something, truth be told. They were real into to like heavy metal rock and, and kind of that, you know, the devil rock kind of stuff and drug culture. And there was rumors around the school that he, this guy had gone so far that he was participating in satanic rituals, which was probably true, probably more than a rumor. And so one day out on the street in the neighborhood, we confronted this guy. We were feeling, I guess, our, our oats being that there was more of us than there was of him. And, and so we started going down the list of things that we felt like he wasn't doing right, you know, this lifestyle that he was in. And, and, and he stopped us and he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, you got me all wrong. He said, actually, I'm an undercover Christian. He said, I do all these things, the drugs, the Satan worship, the, the trench coat, the whole deal. It's just to infiltrate these guys so that I can preach the gospel to them. True story, true story. Chris is back there shaking his head. 
And it's, it's, we had the same response. We just laughed at him. But as funny as that is, I think so many times we are guilty of being undercover Christians in the sense that our actions don't align. If, if somebody once said if we were judged in a court of law, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? And where I see it played out more in our culture now, in the church culture that, I'm in, that we're in now, I can't tell you how many times, and I've heard some of you express the same thing in conversations around the church, that people we work with that profess to be Christians, and they'll tell you about what church they go to. And I had, just last week had this experience. Tell me all about the sermon their pastor preached on Sunday. And then they'll begin to tell you about the lifestyle that they had, you know, Friday night out on the party scene and drinking and, and, and all these things. And there just seems to be a, a, a misalignment there. But what's sad about it is this, is that that's the type of Christian that the world has come to expect. That's, that, 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 that's normal. That's what Christianity is to a lot of people. And so tonight, that is some of the genesis of my comments tonight, is that how sad and how tragic that, that it's been dumbed down to that level. Let us be guilty as charged of being Christians, both in word and in deed. Nothing invites criticism into your life like professing to be one thing but acting in a different way. But on the other hand, nothing is so strong as the testimony of the person that has actions, conduct, and word living what they say they believe all in alignment. Nothing creates a stronger testimony. Nothing creates a stronger witness as to who Jesus Christ really is in our lives and what Christianity really is all about than having a witness and a testimony that aligns. I appreciated what Brother Wheeler said Sunday morning in the adult class. He was talking about uh, honor and our, 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 our responsibility to honor God and one another uh, in a holy way, in a meaningful way. And he said this, I, I made a note, a mental note of it because I knew what I'd be speaking about tonight. He said, the greatest way we can honor God and the greatest way we can honor one another is by being who we say we are. And that is so true on so many levels. It's so true on so many levels, not just because we want to have a clean conscience and we want to we we be authentic, but it just respects one another. When, when, I, when you know that I, I'm going to keep my word and when, when I know that you're going to keep your word even when it's costly and it may not be convenient, that means something. That's the greatest way we can honor one another. So there's much at stake here. There's a lot that can be said about the reasons why this should be done and the reason why this should matter to us. And hopefully as the Lord leads, when I get to the conclusion tonight, I'll give you two scriptural, um, uh, uh, two, two verses of scripture that drive home, I believe, good sound reasons for alignment and integrity in our lives. So Paul gives Timothy these three distinctives. He gives them several actually, but I want to I focus on three distinctives of the Christian that wants to silence criticism, that wants to be authentic in word and deed. There are three distinctives that we should have, and those are, are this, love, he calls it faith in the King James. The, the idea that Paul was getting at there is faithfulness. So we're going to call it loyalty. And then the last one is purity. So first Paul says, show yourself to be an example of what believing people should be in love. Show yourself to be an example of what believing people should be in love. This word here is agape. I'm sure everybody has heard the word and understands the word agape. The thing about it is, though, the Greek word agape really doesn't have an English equivalent. There's not, it doesn't translate well to English. The best 
uh, one of the best ways we could describe it or try to put it into our language would be this, and you'll see it on the screen. It's simply unconquerable benevolence. It's the unconquerable care for other people or the well-being of other people. Loving people so much, caring so much, benevolent to such a way or to such an extent that it cannot be silenced. It cannot be conquered. If a person has agape, he will seek nothing but other people's good no matter how they treat him or her or what that other person says about him or her. That's hard. Wait just a second. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's easy to say it. It's easy to get up here and teach it, but, but hang with me. It's not, I agree it's not easy. An agape kind of love, an unconquerable benevolence is never bitter. It's never resentful and never vengeful. It will never allow itself to hate, and it will never refuse to, to, to forgive. This kind of love, this idea that the apostle is getting at with agape, it's the kind, if we're being honest, it's the kind of love that will take a Christian a lifetime, if ever, to perfect. You need a whole lot of the Holy Spirit inside of you and you need a whole lot of just sheer determination that this is how I'm going to live as a Christian to pull this off. It's not easy. The love we have for our families, for those that are near and dear, that's a natural love. That just kind of comes naturally. You find that even in the animal kingdom, right? Romantic love, you know, all of you who are married here tonight, Valentine's Day's coming up. Romantic love, you, you just fell in love with, with your husband or wife. It's just, it just happened. It's a love of the heart. It just, it, nobody had to, had to teach you that. These, these type loves that we see represented in our human relationships, these, are, these just come naturally and they're loves of the heart. But watch this, agape love that the, that the Christian is expected to have, it's not only love of the heart, it is. But watch this, it is also love of the will. It's a willful love, choosing the love, to love someone even when they're unlovable. It's, some, it's not something we can't help. It is an achievement and a conquest. And as I say, I'm not here to say that it's easy. I'm not here to say that we always get it right. I'm not here to say that we all don't need a whole lot of work in this area. And I'm going to tell you, let me just pause for an aside here since it's just us here tonight. Do you know that anytime you get up to preach something, you're going to have the opportunity to live it out? God just kind of makes sure as ministers that we get to practice what we preach. And I'm telling you, I've been in, in, in my, uh, the, the field of work that I do, the business I'm in, I've done it so long now that I, I really, it's very rare that anything gets to me. I've seen it all, heard it all. And I can, I've learned the hard way to take it all in stride. And so help me if something didn't happen today that just got on my last nerve. And I, I can't tell you how many times I typed an email and then I clicked, at, you know, clicked off of it. Don't, don't send that, Dave. Don't send that, Dave. It's not easy to love all the time. We have to work on it. But we get a chance to practice what we preach. So there's no, of course, the, the obvious example here is Jesus Christ. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God commends his love towards us, that, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the ultimate example of this agape love. It's, it's a love, loving even when we don't deserve to be loved. It's agape love. Let me give you a, 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 more, a, a more concrete example, I suppose, 
uh, from a human being standpoint. I, I think sometimes we say, well, of course God loves us. But let's talk about a human being that I think probably exemplified this love in some way. It was back in eight, uh, between the years of 1866 and 1873, and the man's name was Father Damien. And the mission field that he chose was a mission field on an island near Hawaii called Molokai. And that island was a leper colony. The problem was is that back then they didn't really know what to do with the lepers, so they were shipping them off to this leper colony where they wouldn't infect anybody else. And over, over the years, there was about 800 lepers overall that went through there. And the problem was they were without law and they were without hope. And so it just became a place where they, these lepers gave themselves alternately to despair and to what pleasures they could grasp. Robbery, drunkenness, anarchy really marked their existence. And when Father Damien heard about it, ultimately, to make a long story short, he asked to be sent there by his superiors, the people that make those decisions for him. And so he served there as a missionary. His, uh, as much as he had uh, tried to prepare himself for the horrors that surely he would see on the island of Molokai, nothing prepared him from what he, for what he saw um, of all the sights and the sounds. But one, one of his first encounters that he saw was a, a young girl, and her body was already half eaten by worms. And uh, this was just the kind of rotten, filthy, stinking environment that he was in. There was an ever-present putrid smell and just the coughing up of blood and all these things that go along with that horrible, horrible disease. So Damien stepped in and his first desire was to remind the lepers of their inherent dignity as children of God. And he began to honor them in any way he could. Even in their death, he would, he would where before they just would throw the the rotting dead bodies uh, to the fields, he, he would construct coffins and give them a proper burial, even performing a burial service, just to give dignity to, to the life that they lived. And over, over time, he began a relationship with them. He began to relate to them when their confidence time came when he felt like that, he, 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 that wasn't enough, that he needed to get closer to them and that he needed to touch them and reach out to them. And so over time, he began to hug them. He began to care for their sores and everything he did, he just poured his heart into them. He wanted there to be no wall between the love that he felt for them and the love that, that, they, that he felt that they should experience. He even got to the place where he would say, we lepers. He would preach to them and he would, call, he would say things like, we lepers. He wrote home to his brother and said, we lepers. And 11 years after Damien's arrival on Molokai, he spilled boiling water on his foot, and he watched in horror as the skin blistered, and yet he felt nothing. And he knew that at that point he had ultimately met the lepers in their disease. The final five years of his life, Damien served those lepers as leper priest. And on April 15, 1889, Damien breathed his last, and he was laid to rest among the thousands of lepers that he called his Garden of the Dead. Damien had touched the lepers with a hand that soothed and embraced them even when everyone else had done all they could to keep the lepers away. That's agape love. That's loving even when it costs you something, even when, it, when it's painful and when it hurts, even when it ultimately, in this case, cost him his life. That's the kind of love that Paul was getting at here. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, that beautiful love chapter, love suffers long and is kind. Love envieth not, it vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up. 
It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not its own. It's not easily provoked. And it thinks no evil. That is agape love. Let me hasten on here. I think you get the point there. The next, the next thing that Paul talks about here, he says, let us or show ourselves to be an example of what believing people ought to be in loyalty. In loyalty. So where love is unconquerable benevolence, loyalty is unconquerable fidelity or loyalty to Jesus Christ. Loyalty is unconquerable fidelity to Jesus Christ. And I hasten to add, no, and this is the crux of the matter, no matter what that may cost. That's, that's what's the issue here, where we're, what we're getting at here when we're talking about loyalty. It's, it's easy to be loyalty to Jesus in the good times and when he's blessing you and there's plenty of money in the bank account and you're not being persecuted and you don't have to stand out in any way. But it's unconquerable fidelity to Christ, even when that costs you something. It's, it, I believe the, the comments I made earlier about Christianity in our culture, I believe this gets to the heart of the matter. People want a cheap and easy Christianity. They want, they want a walk with God that doesn't cost them anything. It's a, it's a walk with God that has all the benefits of loving Jesus, but none of the responsibilities that comes with being his follower. And that's where we live today. That's the brand of Christianity most people have chosen. But I want to tell you that that's not the brand of Christianity that Jesus preached when he said, if any man would be my disciple, what? Let him take up his cross and follow me. It's a lifestyle of self-denial. It's a lifestyle of carrying the cross. Of carrying the cross. A couple of weeks ago in our pre-service huddle that the serve team does right up here on the stage before we go to serve in our various areas on Sundays. Nathan Henson did the, uh, did the moment of inspiration and he made a statement that it, it's, it has stuck with me ever since. I've thought about it daily since then. And he's talking about organizations and he said, values will cost you something. Talking about organizational values, they, they cost you something to adhere to them. And that's so true. And it's also true of our lives, our relationship with God. Your values will cost you something. Your profession of faith as a Christian will cost you something. There will come a time where it is going to to live out what you believe. The standards of conduct that you set for yourself, the standards of conduct that you set for your family, at some point you're going to have to defend those. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to stand and say, as for me and my house, this is what we've decided we're going to do. Let the world do what they may. Paul, let, let me illustrate it this way. Paul likened the Christian life to that of a soldier. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No man that warreth, no soldier, entangles himself with the affairs of, the li of life because he wants to please the one who has chosen him and to be a good soldier. And so he likens our, our life to a soldier, and this so adequately demonstrates the point because a soldier is a soldier not just when he's back on base camp, not just when he's back on the barracks, but he's also a soldier, and he's also committed to the cause even when he's out on the battlefield and even when he's gone days without food and even when he's seen carnage all around him and even when the bullets are flying, a soldier remains true to the mission and to his calling and to his identity even when... It cost him something. Perhaps another way to state this is, is uh, using the example. There's a, there's a great book out there called The Liberator by Alex Kershaw. And he, he chronicles the 45th 
infantry and their march across Europe that ultimately ended in the liberation of the concentration camp in Dachau. And what arrests me about this story is that some of these men, and especially the, the, the story focuses on the commander, they fought across Europe for 500 days straight, this 45th Infantry. That's a long time. How many of you know that's more than one year? That's a long time. And so here's, here, there, this is where my head goes with this. If, if you're a soldier in the 45th Infantry and you're marching across Europe and it takes you 500 days of fighting, pick a day. Pick any day. If you fight through that day, fighting the enemy, surviving the air raids, seeing your buddies die on either side of you, but you live through the battle and you make it to see sundown, your reward is, guess what? You get to get up and do it again tomorrow. That's your reward for survival. And you have no idea in that moment whether you'll survive tomorrow or not. What happened today in terms of survival has no bearing on what will happen tomorrow. That's a soldier. That's, that's life in the trenches. That's battle. And we're called to be soldiers. And, and, and we, the bottom line, what I'm saying is this, is we've got to be so disciplined in our walk with God and so committed to our cause and so willing to defend what we believe and who we are and the, and the, and the, the things that God has spoken to us and done for us that we're willing to fight every day. No matter how hard the fight was today, we're willing to get back up tomorrow and fight another day and another day and another day, even if there seems to be no end in sight. That's a soldier's life, and that's a test of mental and physical bravery, ability to have valor and honor, and it's the ultimate test of how you hold up when the chips are down. And so I wonder, as, as Christians tonight, what would happen and what it would be like if, as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we got some tenacity about us and said, you know what? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to fight through whatever comes. We're going to stand. doesn't matter what, what is in and out of fashion in the world in terms of philosophy and, and lifestyles and what's considered uh, in, uh, in vogue and all these things, but we're going to live by what we believe and what we say um, we, or, or what God says and has spoken into our life. I'm amazed and Fascinated, and I, I, I've spoken of this often, but I look back at our elders and, and the, the stand they made and the things they did, and, it, and, it, and it, it shames me if I could be transparent before you tonight. I feel, I feel ashamed oftentimes at the things they went through, the, the stands they made, the things they did, so that we could be here tonight doing what we're doing. I hope that I and I hope that you are up to that task and, and, and can carry that great, great legacy forward. A simple example not necessarily a spiritual one, but very, very heavily represents a spiritual example, is that, uh, as I'll never forget seeing Brother Alexander uh, founding, he and, and Sister Alexander founding members of our church, and, and back when it was in Baker, I'll never forget, he was well into his 70s at the time, and he'd had a knee replacement surgery that week, and he came to church that Sunday, and as he was in so much pain at one point, he, he got up and walked out. And I didn't see it, but I heard that he had big tears coming down his eyes. He was in so much pain. And he got a hold of himself, and he came back into church. That's tenacity. That's a soldier. That's a fighter. That, that's saying, I, I don't care what may come my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adhere to my principles, and my principles are I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to be faithful. No matter what it costs me, no matter what it feels like, no matter the pain, I'm a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's the legacy we have. 
And that's the shoes we have to fill. It's very daunting. It's very challenging. And that's where I say tonight the challenge is, is that we strive for the master. We have a ways to go maybe. Maybe we have to keep working at it. The final area that I want to um, hit on tonight, we've talked about unconquerable benevolence. That is love for others, that agape love. We've talked about unconquerable allegiance to Jesus Christ. The last one is purity. Paul says, show yourself to be an example in purity. And so purity then is that unconquerable allegiance to the standards of Jesus Christ. And this, of course, dovetails from some of the comments I just made, a very similar thought pattern here. But, but I want to I look at it from a slightly different angle if you'll, if you'll stick with me for just a few more moments. Listen to what was said about the early Christians. Um, Pliny, the governor of Bithynia, wrote to Trajan, the, the emperor in Rome, where, and, and uh, Pliny was the governor at the time. And here, here's what he said about the Christians, the early Christians. He said they are, they are accustomed to bind themselves by an oath, to commit neither theft nor robbery nor adultery, never to break their word, never to deny a pledge that has been made when summoned to answer for it, end quote. That was his impression of the early Christians. The Christian pledge then was a life of purity, and it was a, it was a life of purity such that people could recognize it. It could be seen. It could be, it could be recognized and understood. And here's, what I want, here's the angle I want to take with us here tonight because I believe it's so relevant to all of us, to all of our lives. The Christian ought to have a standard of honor, honesty, self-control, discipline down the line. We ought to have a standard in those things that are far above the standards of the world. That's, that's the issue. And that you say, well, we're Christians. We believe in the Bible. We, we don't have the same standards of the world. Well, I want, you to, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to put your life on a microscope. Is that true? Are you living by, are, are you living by standards that are Bible-based and, and standards that you will defend and not cross no matter what? Or are your standards and your way of thinking influenced by the culture of our world. I want to come back to this in just a second, but if you'll allow me for the sake of clarity, there's a statement I heard many years ago that, that is the heart of the point I'm trying to make right here, and it's simply this, just because I can doesn't mean I should. And I believe that's the standard we ought to live by, Christians, because we're in a day now where anything goes, and anybody can do anything, and even as I demonstrated earlier, Christians for the most part can get, get away with, quote-unquote, a lot of things. But as a Christian, as an apostolic, as an individual who has taken the Bible open, or, or taken your Bible, opened it, and rightly divided the Word of God, can you hold yourself to a standard that says, just because I can doesn't mean I should? I fear that we're in a place now in our, in our church culture where if it's not coming across the pulpit and it's not being preached on or stated that, we feel like maybe that gives us some license in certain areas, and that's not true. We have a Bible. We have the voice of God. We have our conscience. We, we have standards that I hope we've set for our lives that we should live by. Let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about, and, and this, is going to, this is going to date me a good bit. It's going to put me out of step with, uh, with, with the church culture that we're in right now. 
but, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you anyway and let you do with it what you please since I'm the one with the microphone. Uh, year, several years ago, I was in I was 10th grade, high school, and I'm going to brag a little bit, but I'm bragging about the Dave of 20, 25 years ago, okay? It's not the guy that's standing here today. But in high school, I was a pretty good basketball player. And as you can tell, I had the height to go with it. At least I thought I was a good basketball player. I don't know if I was really all that good or not, but I, was, I did not lack for confidence, let's put it that way. And I'm going to tell you, I, was, I went to Bel Air High School, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, graduated from Bel Air High School, and I wanted to try out for the basketball team. In retrospect, if I'm being honest, I wasn't good enough to make the basketball team. As good as I thought I was, I wasn't that good. I got a chance to play against some of the, uh, or at least one of the players, one of the starters, on a one-on-one in my, in my, in my um, driveway, and uh, it didn't go well. So I, I know that I probably wasn't as good as I thought I was. But, but, but this, is what, this is what I want to get through and what, the point I'm trying to make. I wanted to try out for the high school basketball team. I never asked my parents if I could try out. And, and I didn't try out. That's not where I'm going with this, that I went behind their back. That's, that's not where I'm headed with this. My point is, is I knew better than to ask because I knew what the answer would be. The answer would have been a resounding no, have you lost your mind? But, but, but the point is this, is that my parents had some standards for us. They, they, had, they had drawn some lines. They had, they had put up some fences. And this is the deal. As kids, as children, we knew what they were. It wasn't a mystery to us. And I knew there were just certain things that there was no point in even asking about and starting for the, or trying out for the high school basketball team was one of them. Why? Well, because it was, a, you know, it was a, uh, putting me in the company of people that were not going to help my walk with God, number one. Number two, it would have kept me out of church a good bit and right on down the line. My parents were more concerned about my salvation and keeping me right with God than they were about, you know, a couple of years on the basketball team. These are, these are standards that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, they could have. They could have let me try out. They, I could have made it, and they could have said, well, we're going to excuse him for, for the four years in high school. For all the times he misses church, we'll, we'll let him make it up later. But that's not what they did. It's, it's, it's the attitude that just because I can doesn't mean that I should. And, and so as apostolics, when I'm challenging all of us, again, the guy in the pulpit too, all of us, we need to think about, and getting back to what Brother Wheeler said about honoring one another, we need to think about when we make decisions and lifestyle choices and, and, and to engage in certain activities, we need to think about how that reflects on our fellow Christians, on our, on our brothers and sisters at Grace Church. Let me just bring it home that close. We need to think about that. It, you know, we say, we, we're real fond of saying in this culture, well, I have my rights, and if they have a problem with it, they ought to get over it. Really? Is that true? Are, are we not our brother's keeper? And I'm about to demonstrate here by Scripture how Jesus feels about it. We need to consider the fact that just because we can doesn't mean we should. We need to, we need to consider all the aspects of the decisions we make. And let me, let me just go ahead and meddle right here too. I'm going to go here. Again, I, I might not get the mic for a while. But, but just because you can engage on an argument, in an argument on Facebook doesn't mean you should. 
you need to stop and think about how it reflects on the church, how it reflects on Jesus, how it reflects in your... Right down the line. And when you tell somebody you go to Grace Church, then they're thinking about everybody else that attends Grace Church too. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Look at, let me demonstrate this hopefully with, with what Jesus, something Jesus did here that I think we, we, I think we lose the meaning of it just because it's a little bit archaic. It's a little bit, it's a little bit hidden until you break it down and then we'll wrap this thing up. Look at Matthew chapter 17 verses 24 through 27 and again still, still on this topic about, about taking, taking into a consideration where we draw our lines and what we should and should not do in terms of our lifestyle. Jesus, uh, the Bible says in Matthew, and when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And Peter, well, what do you think he's going to say? Of course he says yes. He, he doesn't know whether Jesus pays tribute or not. But he's going he's to stand up for him. He says yes. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to have to go talk to Jesus about this. So he goes back into the house and Jesus already knows the whole thing. Peter don't even have to tell him. Jesus prevented him and said, what do you think, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said unto him, of strangers. And Jesus said unto him, then the children are free. Notwithstanding, or let me just put in the word there, nevertheless. Nevertheless, nevertheless, lest we should offend them. I want you to get that right there. Go out to the sea, cast out a hook, take up the fish. First one that comes up, you'll find the money in his mouth and go and pay the taxes for me and you. Now, what Jesus said here, it, it kind of gets lost in the translation and in the King James Version. First and foremost, this tax, this tribute that they were asking Jesus about was not the Roman tax. This was not tax collector paying tribute to Caesar. This was the temple tax. It's found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 13 through 14. Every Jew over the age of 20 was commanded to pay the tax to help support the temple. And so that's what was being called into question. And what Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm going to give it to you in, in modern terms and modern examples so that you understand it. This helped me tremendously when I was studying this. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, should Prince Charles pay the tax on Buckingham Palace? And the answer is no, because Prince Charles is not a citizen. He's a son. He's in the royal lineage. He doesn't need to pay the tax because he's royalty. And, and Peter agrees with Jesus. And Jesus says basically essentially what he's getting at is I'm the son of God. I'm divinity. Why should I pay tax on something that gives honor to me, i.e. the temple? It doesn't make sense. We, we, we're exempt from that. We don't have to do that. But then Jesus challenges all of us when he says, nevertheless, so that we don't offend them, let us go ahead and obey the law and, and, and what they're calling the law, what they think we should do. And I might hasten to add, in light of Pastor's Bible study last Wednesday, Jesus said they had turned the temple into a den of thieves. He went in there and he, uh, he got mad and, and turned, it all, turned it all upside down, yet he still paid the temple tax. So even when you don't agree with how the money's being spent, Jesus has given us an example that you should go on and pay your tithes. 
But he says, nevertheless, so we do not offend them. He basically is saying this. When you're talking about the glory of God, it actually does matter what people think. And we don't even want to appear to be incongruent in what we're preaching and how we're living. It matters. uh, To use a common buzzword you see in the news a lot today, the optics do matter as Christians. It does matter when people see you walking down the street, your manner of conversation, what you're wearing, how you're behaving, who you're with. It does matter. It's better not to offend people. Even if you have some Christian liberty in an area, you better be careful about offending somebody. And so this gets to the very heart then of what I told Elena when she asked me what I'm preaching about. The idea of integrity, the idea of wholeness. Integrity, the root word there is just integer. It's, it's, it's integral. It's one. Everything being in alignment in our, in our mind, body, heart, and soul. And so Peter put it this way. I've, I've said several times now that, that just because we can doesn't mean we should. That's actually a biblical statement. Listen to what Paul said. Uh, I meant Paul. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are, are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So the third authenticating mark of a Christian, if we want to be, if we want to silence the critics, if we want to be authentic, if we want to be who we say we are, we want to make an impact on the world and be faithful and loyal to, loyalty in our church. The third significant mark of that, the third distinctive then is loyalty. A life lived on the standards of Jesus Christ and not on the standards of the world. Would you stand with me? I'm done. I have a little bit more that I wanted to say by way of conclusion, but I I believe you've gotten the point. So let me me just conclude with these two scriptures that I promised you at the beginning and then, then we're done. We'll pray and we're done. Psalms chapter 25 verse 21. This is one of our Bible quizzers verses. And this is a benefit to walking in integrity. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. Integrity will preserve you. It will keep you. It will will keep your feet planted. And then Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, The just man walks in his integrity, and as a result, his children are blessed after him. If you want blessings on your home, blessing on your family, blessing in your life, integrity will do it, living by the standards of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. And I'm thankful, God, that you always, always challenge us. When we look into the mirror of that word, it's always a challenge. It's always a call to arms. It's always a call to stand up and be even more than we thought we could be, to be even better, Lord, than what we thought we could be. Help us tonight, God. We want to be congruent in in action, in heart, and in deed. We want to be true Christians, an accurate representation of you on this earth. Help us, we pray. Go with us tonight. Bring us back this weekend. Bless everyone that's here tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was able to, to land that. That kind of felt like one of those bumpy landings where the pilot comes in and it bounces a few times. It probably wasn't the smoothest landing, but uh, my time was getting away from me. God bless you for being here tonight. Greet somebody before you leave, and we'll see you this weekend. God bless you. We love you tonight in Jesus' name.